This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. I just had like this whole like epiphany of I just experienced something completely unfamiliar and it just felt so powerful. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. I am excited, as I hope you are too, for another episode of the Blacksit Global podcast. And I am so excited to have on the show Michelle Wedderburn, who is the founder and CEO of Afro Expats. And she is joining us today to talk about her remarkable journey all the way to San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. Welcome to Blacksit Global, Michelle. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Can't wait to get into it with you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm so thrilled to have this opportunity to speak with you. And I want to, I always ask my guests and try and unpack like what brought them to where they are now. But as I was reading your bio, I was struck because I was like, oh my goodness, Michelle's a Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am. I am. I am so Canadian. Um, I actually still have my Canadian citizenship, um, but I spent a lot of my years growing up in Connecticut in the U.S., but I was able to, fortunately for us, spend summers in Canada with family. So yes, that is my home country. Oh, that is awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your time in Canada. I know you said you spent a lot of time in the States, but tell me a little bit about that journey and your life and even like your family in terms of were you guys a traveling family and migrated to Canada? How did all that come together? Oh, so interesting. So my mom and my dad and all of my aunts and uncles are originally from Jamaica. So I am of Jamaican heritage And they migrated or they started migrating to Toronto in the 60s. So maybe my mom's uh, sister, rather, my aunt migrated. And then I believe she became kind of the sponsor of the family. And she started to sponsor her brothers and her sisters. So the ones that wanted to go, she helped them out in this regard. 
Um, they had 11 siblings, so it was a big family. Uh, my grandmom went up. And so needless to say, I don't know exactly what year my parents moved there, but I was born there. Um, I'm not ashamed to say I was born in 68. And I spent pretty much the first five to seven years of my life living there full time. And then my parents decided to move to Connecticut. So we weren't super far away. You know, we could still hop in the car and drive like uh, seven or eight hours to get into Toronto. So what we would do is go there for the summers. Uh, my parents literally dropped us off. So my aunts and uncles became like our babysitters <laughs> for the summer. And it was nice because we had, you know, our cousins and um, our close immediate family that we could spend time with and really get to know. And in addition to that, really get to know Canada as a country goes. So, you know, although we lived in Connecticut and most of my family lived in Toronto, we were able to also experience both places. Uh, my dad was a minister, so we really hit the road quite a bit. Um, we did a lot of road trips, I would say. That's probably where my love of travel started. Um, and my dad traveled quite a bit. He made trips to India back in the day, parts of Africa, um, places in the U.S. We weren't with him. You know, our family just didn't have it like that. But it really created, I think, a world of imagination for me. You know, he would bring things back that just really were symbolic of the countries that he visited and the spaces that he went to. So I think my imagination about those places, like back in the day when the Taj Mahal was the thing, right? I remember he brought back um, just, you know, little vases that reminded me of something from Aladdin, you know, and I'd be like rubbing it like, oh my God, this is supposed to work. So in saying that, that's sort of where I think the love um, of knowing other places started as a child. Um, I would say the most we traveled was within the U.S., but we left to places that probably most people wouldn't go to. Like we went to Iowa <laughs> for church. <laughs> so yeah, you know, <laughs> we were like in the Midwest and we would do these road trips that would last for a really long time. You know, I can't tell you how many hours that is right now because I think I just blocked it all out. But we would do this on a regular basis. We were traveling on a regular basis to from Connecticut to Iowa and back. We would take trips to Kingsport, Tennessee. We made road trips to, um, I think, the Carolina. We went to Florida. And then, of course, we went to Canada. So we, you know, we had a lot of like this type of experience and traveling within the U.S., but not necessarily international to Jamaica, for example. We, we didn't do Jamaica. Um, I think my parents were just trying to make it and do their thing. So, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of the history as a child. Wow, that's great. So I love what you talked about when you were saying that even though you didn't take those trips with your dad, that you still felt like you did because of the souvenirs he would bring home. And it woke up your sense of imagination and wonder and curiosity. Um, I just love that because I could just I felt like I was on those journeys with you. So oh my gosh, that's so great. So 
What outside of those trips, like was your first adult experience and exploration to another country? Because like, I know you're in Mexico now, but I suspect that you may have made some other journey steps before you landed there. Oh, a ton. Okay. So (laughs) as an adult, I did finally make a trip with my father and my brothers to Jamaica. So I would say that was my first real international uh, flight. And I actually had done it as a child or maybe when I was three, but I didn't remember that. You know, I only saw photos and things. So for me, that was really a memorable time and a trip that was outside of the U.S. and outside of Canada. We planned it for three weeks. And I can tell you um, how I felt about this experience. So because I had not spent time in Jamaica as an adult, I started getting very curious about Jamaican culture, uh, Jamaican music. Um, I was already, you know, privy to the food and cuisines and cooking and all that stuff. But just for me, I think I was about 21 or 22. I was so excited. I started, you know, planning like my wardrobe and, you know, because that's what we do at that age, right? It's so important that we look good. So in saying all of that, you know, I remember working my full-time job and I was saving my money and I bought clothes and I was so excited to go to Jamaica and meet family that was more related to my father because I hadn't really met my uh, grandpa on my dad's side and some of my dad's relatives because most of the relatives that I knew in Canada were really on my mother's side. So I had this whole thing mapped out in my head about what this experience was actually going to be. And for me, it was also very sentimental because it just felt like I was going to be learning something new about this country, this place, not just, like I said, the music and food. It was just like, oh, I'm going to get to see where my dad grew up. I'm going to get to meet my grandpa finally, who was actually blind at the time. So in saying all of that, it didn't quite go down this way. (laughs) It, It went down, but I think because I was so green at other cultures, you know, even though I had traveled a lot in the U.S. and spent time with my Jamaican family in Canada, I really was super green. Now, when I look back um, on my life and all the things I've done since, it was definitely the start of understanding other places and then having an appreciation for it, for the experience. Um, I remember when I got there, we were supposed to, I think, stay in my grandpa's house. That didn't work out. So we stayed in some cabins down the street, which were beautiful on the beach. But they were like little cabins, you know, with just your basics. Um, back in the day, we didn't have a cell phone, so I wasn't missing electronics. But it just kind of was one of those experiences where I felt like, what am I supposed to do for the next three weeks, right? <laughs> What are we going to be doing? No vehicle, you know, so it wasn't like we could just hop in a car and go somewhere. There was really not a whole lot happening in this particular space. I remember, you know, there were cows just hanging around on the street. So all of these things, for whatever reason, in this moment of being a green 
naive international traveler were agitating to me, right? And even just the getting there was agitating to me. The sitting on the plane in Kingston with the, you know, the plane doors open, we're roasting and I just felt miserable. And, you know, I was miserable, but I can tell you that through this whole three weeks, you know, I started slowly realizing this is where my parents are coming from and this is their heritage. And, you know, they worked hard to put me in another space and place, like appreciate what is in front of you. This is where they come from. This is who they are. And this is who you are, right? In essence, you are this and anything they experienced that pushed them to move you to another space is for you to look at in a different light and be grateful for it. And what's interesting about that whole experience, I remember being under this haze for three weeks of, you know, living in the moment of enjoying myself, going to Duns River Falls, checking out the beaches, hanging, having fun with my brothers because my brothers are fun, um, you know, spending time with my grandpa and his wife and having the cows outside with the big bells just clunking down the street, you know, and all of this and having even um, our relatives pick us up, drive us into the mountains, all these different things. It did not really hit me to appreciate it until, and it was the weirdest thing, until I got home. When I got home, I remember I landed, and I would say within 24 hours, I just had like this whole like epiphany of I just experienced something completely unfamiliar and it just felt so powerful. And I remember like literally like I could think about it. I want to cry because I was like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. Like it was such a beautiful experience. I never saw my grandpa again. He died. But in saying all of that, it was just eye opening in the travel sense, the history appreciating my family, appreciating where they came from, appreciating this whole thing that was not familiar to me. And it just kind of made me realize also where I was coming from and how much I have that's at my fingertips and that I need to be grateful for the life that I actually lived. You know what I'm saying? So I really am an advocate that travel does this for you in so many ways. So that was kind of that first international experience. And then it goes on and on from there. (laughs) Whoa, that is such a a great backstory. Mm -hmm. And thank you for for sharing that. And it just, you know, I can tell that that memory and those memories had such a profound impact in shaping who you are today, you know, and, and being able to embrace that sense of wanderlust. So it's interesting, you're in Mexico now. Did you know all along that your life in the U.S., since you've spent the majority of your your time living in the U.S., you were going to have a future in another country? Or was this like something that came on a whim? Help me with the journey to San Miguel. I think I always felt that at some point I would love to live abroad. I would say in the beginning, after the trip to Jamaica, it didn't quite seem so possible, you know, because I think we're so accustomed to working 
making our money, getting our couple weeks of vacation, taking our little trips, and then, you know, going right back to the grind. I would say in the past mid-1990s through 2000s, you know, I started to explore more travel. You know, I was previously married and we did a lot of traveling. So that bug kind of started with that, where, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, and all of the experiences that I kind of and things I felt in Jamaica started to also happen in all the other countries that I got to visit. So, you know, my first European trip was to Switzerland. Um, You know, then from there, road trips from Switzerland to Italy, to Germany, and, you know, all these different spaces. So little by little, I started kind of growing into appreciating the opportunities to be abroad. I can't say that I loved all of these places, um, but I always gained something from the experience. And when I look back on it, I can honestly say that it, it molded me into wanting to be in another place because I always felt that, you know, the U.S. is a good country to live in, in terms of opportunities, you know, there are a lot of pluses, so I don't like to knock it. But I also feel too that, that we have been conditioned to think that that's the best place in the world, right? All the movies we watched and the heroes and, you know, it's like the Americans came out winning. (laughs) And saying all of that, I um, really thought at some point I probably would want to move to Spain. This was a long time ago. Um, I really loved my time in Barcelona and different places like Italy. I also really love as the country goes. So fast forwarding to having my child or being pregnant, I knew from pregnancy, I just did not want to raise my son in the U.S. So I started exploring moving back to Canada, right? I was interested in this. Um, I started looking at my options because I could work work there and get a job and things like this. I wasn't so keen on Toronto. I was really looking at a place where he could learn another language. So I started looking at Montreal um, and they had great schools. Um, They had the French, you know, English and the communities that are in Toronto and in Montreal they're so mixed. So for me, when I looked at that and because of all of my travel and being an older parent, I really felt that I wanted him to experience the things that I experienced as an adult, but as a child, really to have like that complete open mind to the world, being a global citizen, however I could provide that, whatever my resources would allow. So it didn't happen right away. You know, I was just kind of like, I remember applying for jobs, even in the Middle East. I was just like, somebody just take me away. I mean, I was willing to work for oil companies, anyone that would entertain a a government job out of the country. I was always open to if something knocks on my door, I'm going to explore it and let me see where it takes me. Well, that didn't quite happen that way. And then I started my own business, you know, just out of wanting to have even the freedom of not being in a job. So I started my own business so I could have my own schedule. I felt what that felt like. It was a lot of work, but it was also freeing. 
you know, kind of the same thing as traveling, right? You, 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 you're working, you can be a slave to your work, but it was mine. Like when I wanted to go somewhere, I didn't have to ask anyone. I would just schedule it and go. So for me, I did not, I was not letting that go. I was not, I was absolutely not letting that go. I quit corporate in 2002. So it's been over 20 years and I have never looked back. I was like, I don't care if I have to scrub a floor. I am not working for anyone again. Like I'm not working in a company again, you know? So, you know, we all have our different things, but that was, that was my thing. I, I went to college. I worked in corporate for like 15 years. So I just wasn't going back to that because I didn't like it. I didn't, I don't know. I was just miserable. I didn't like people telling me what to do. So I kept it moving. So in saying all of that, my husband and I, when we were united in 2016, we immediately started talking about living abroad somewhere. He said, oh, I love Italy. And I was like, I love Italy too. Um, you know, we eloped in Italy. We did our, you know, th- our honeymoon. It was beautiful. So yeah, it was very romantic. And, you know, just one of those things was like, oh, maybe Italy, you know. And so I just hardcore started researching. Um, and I told him, I said, okay, let's look at this and let's make a plan for a two to five year out. You know, let's do it. Fortunately, it happened in 2018. But prior to that, I was, when I tell you I was up late nights, YouTube, searching, like where to, where should we go? um, What countries? Mexico was not on our list. My husband was against Mexico. Um, He was just, you know, kind of, again, the haze of the U.S., the media, it's dangerous, not Mexico, don't go. And I think he would have felt that way about any country he was not familiar with in some capacity. If I had mentioned a country in Africa, I think he would have been opposed to that as well. But he was very much on board for Italy. He was really excited about Costa Rica. He was semi-excited about Panama So I was feeding him info about these three countries. Even actually when we were in Italy, I started to ask um, questions of our tour guide. You know, what was the school system like? What was um, it like to live there versus vacation? Obviously, we were having a great time. What was the cost of living, et cetera? Just things like this. She had a lot to say. It didn't sound like the school system was great, but you know, you could do private schools and blah, blah, blah. So when I started really like passing info on and sharing info with him about Costa Rica and Panama, he was really excited. And I said, well, we would be much closer. Um, our money would go further because we were concerned about money getting a percentage off the top every month because of the exchange rate, right? Because Italy is on the euro now. And back in the day when I visited, it was lira, I guess it was. So it was definitely, you know, more affordable. Um, and then also the distance. So I started explaining to him, you know, you don't want to be that far away on another continent, you know, if, if we do do somewhere else. So that's sort of how Mexico somewhat came into the picture because as I was doing research, you know, they have like those charts where it says the top five or the top three places to live. And Mexico was always in the top 
five or three places, depending on who put it out. And he really didn't say it. And I really wasn't pushing it, but it would just come up and he would be like, oh, Mexico. And I said, you know, not a bad idea because I had already visited Mexico so many times. I loved Mexico, but, you know, he was he had never been here. So for him, it was kind of like, you know, the cartels. and, And I was just like, oh, you know, it's not like that. You really should check it out. So we really started the research in this capacity of looking at these three countries. So we mixed Italy and then we really hardcore started looking at Costa Rica and Panama. But on a personal level for myself, I had never visited those countries. So I didn't have, you know, like this pull towards them. Costa Rica, I think, was just kind of not that it's a bad place to live, but I felt that it was cliche. You know, like I felt that there were a lot of Americans like, oh, I'm going to Costa Rica. And I was just kind of like, why do I want to go to Costa Rica? I don't know anything about Costa Rica. Nothing like I've never been there. I don't know anyone there. I'm sure I could find a community. So I started joining the Facebook pages, just the regular expat pages. You know, I couldn't find a lot of um, black expats on YouTube. There was one family and I don't remember their name. And I was following them. They were in Costa Rica and then they ended up moving to Colombia. And I thought they were the coolest family ever. I was like, I want to be like them, you know, and it was hard to find groups and pockets of people that were giving the black perspective. So I just went with whatever was out there and I said, "Okay, where do we fit in? So that's sort of how that journey started, where, you know, the research kind of kept leading us back to Mexico. Mexico, more Mexico. And then I kind of put it to him. And the trip we made as our research trip was not really planned to be a research trip. We came in December 2017 because we originally planned to fly to Cuba for Christmas just because the tickets were kind of cheap from Florida. And I was like, let's go to Cuba. Uh, My son was going to hang with his dad. I said, "Okay, honey, let's go do something. Right. (laughs) Let's go on a trip together. And that's how that started. And then uh, whatever was going on in politics, you know, Trump changed some of the requirements and whatever. And I said, "Okay, I don't want you to get in trouble or not or have problems getting back into the country because I was about to whip out my Canadian passport. (laughs) I was like, I got a Canadian citizenship. So, hey, hey. (laughs) So anyway, we decided to cancel that and um, use our credit. And thus we landed in San Miguel, me pushing San Miguel because I had visited San Miguel in 05. And I just kept saying, let's at least go check it out. Let's see Mexico City and any other cities and areas. But definitely start start in San Miguel because it's the number one, blah, blah. And I'm going to show you links. And I was sending him. This was like going on for six or eight months. I was sending him videos, articles. And I just kept saying, you know, we got to check this out. I mean, I've been there, but I'm sure it's changed. We have to check it out. And so that's sort of how that whole thing developed. Wow. So there's so much there, but Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, I know you had the background about San Miguel and I love the setup and how, you know, your husband eventually arrived at the place you are today. But for someone listening who may know a little bit about Mexico or maybe in the sense of hearing about the 
popular places, if you will, like mm-hmm. Cancun or Playa del Carmen or even Tulum, which is popping on the list. But for people who aren't familiar with San Miguel, what is it? Paint a picture. Oh, my God. If I had a song, I'd sing it to you. <laughs> I, okay. <sighs> I'll take a breather because I really love this city. I may sound maddening and crazy, but I'll just say that first off, it feels like you're in a little bubble, a bubble of paradise. It's not new. It's not modern in the sense of the exterior. When you, like, for example, let's say you drove through it at midnight, you would not be impressed, okay? It just doesn't look like much because it's a UNESCO city and it's been preserved for its history and everything old about it. So you can't come in here and knock down a building and build a brand new, doesn't fit in. But I'll tell you, it's the most charming place that, one of the most charming places I've been to. And I've been to over 33 countries in my lifetime. And I can say that it definitely is up there in my top three countries. Um, I've been to many places that I loved and I appreciated. But San Miguel to me is magic in so many ways. I feel that I could wander around the city and it just feels like it hugs me every time I go somewhere. It's beautiful to look at. It's very artistic in so many ways. I mean, there's so much beauty here. And when I say that, like you go down any of the little side streets and you will find gems in almost every courtyard you enter. It's just magical. You know, You, if it's nighttime and all the doors are closed and then in the morning you show up and they open those courtyard doors, there's like so much art and so much beauty. You walk up to a rooftop and you're like, holy moly, like, look at this view, you know, and this happens over and over. It's not just one place. It's not like, oh, okay, go to this spot and whatever. It's almost every single shop, every single doorway, every single courtyard has something to offer. And it's old with new, kind of old world with modern. Um, There's music, you know, you can go uh, up the street and there'll be like tons of flower shops and guys on the side of the road. There's like quality uh, liquor stores. You go inside and it's like, you just want to sit down and hang out. They have like wine shops and restaurants and pastry places. And it's just like this concentration of kind of, to me, you know, like if I were to go to um, say Soho in, in New York, it's kind of like that idea where you, you know, every corner, every little thing has something to offer you. And it's in this very condensed space, but throw hardcore art on top of that. So for example, you could go into a courtyard, they'll have, let's say six or seven businesses in the courtyard, but within the courtyard, there's like a beautiful fountain with statues, water running, lots of greenery, a tree. There's always a tree in the courtyard. And then it opens up to the sky. And then there'll be like all these little shops, you know, with jewelry in one, another one's going to be a little boutique. Another one might be selling furniture and they'll have their furniture just laid out lamps hanging from the ceilings for sale. 
but they're just decor as well. You go up to a rooftop restaurant and on the way up, there's like art for days. And then you land on the rooftop and then you have this killer view of the church on one side and you go to the back of the restaurant and it's the whole city. It's just really beautiful. You know, go to Rosewood, go up to the rooftop at sunset, you get a full 360 view. I mean, almost all the restaurants give you some kind of crazy, beautiful view. Walking through the city, there's like boutiques everywhere, high end, low end, there's restaurants, there are people selling you things. Um, There's just a lot to do. It just has so much to offer. Yes, it's been gentrified, okay? I have to say that, yes, it's not what it was 30 years ago. You're not going to get the horse and carriage and the buggy. Well, actually, if you want to, you can hire it. But, you know, it's it's a moving city. But then there are the cobblestone streets um, and it's maintained kind of like this old world. But then you can walk inside and it's like a modern restaurant, a modern boutique, a modern whatever. And it's everything's just done really well. So for me, I feel that I'm around constant beauty, if that makes sense. Um, There's not a lot of crime here. They've had problems, though, in the past, but um, there really isn't a lot of crime here. I think for the most part, pre-COVID and even now, um, people are living pretty comfortably, you know, um, not just the locals, but people that have decided this is their home. Um, I can tell you, I had a client last week. He asked me in an interview, he said, hey, Michelle, um, I want to come and visit San Miguel. I'm Puerto Vallarta right now, but I'm trying to figure out where I want to live. And this gentleman has traveled. He's currently living full time in the Middle East and he's going to retire in a couple years. And he said, PV's just not Puerto Vallarta is just not doing it for me, but I want to stop and see San Miguel. So we did, you know, my little consultation and um, I was kind of telling him stuff, not as much as I'm telling you, because I kind of feel like, you know, I want people to make their own decision. I don't want it to be like, oh, that movie was so, so great. And then you get to the movie, you're like, yeah, OK, it was OK, you know. But um, he gets here and he wrote me a review that was just hilarious and so moving at the same time. He was just like, this city is like crack. He goes, I'm going on a 12-step program when I get home. And I cracked up so hardcore, but just his whole perspective and everything. He's like, you didn't tell me the lot. And he goes, oh, my God. And he just loved it. We met him um, for dinner before he left. And he just was in love with it. He is ready to come. He's tucking his sister into coming. So in saying that, I feel like it's not necessarily for everyone. But I do think it's at least if you're considering moving to Mexico, it's worth a visit if you are not looking for a beach life because there are no beaches. We are in the mountains. We are three six thousand three hundred feet above sea level and it's the mountains. It's a city in the mountains. It's really beautiful. Um, the weather is amazing year round. You get that average of. 70 to 90 degrees. And um, the cost of living is definitely higher compared to other parts of Mexico. And that's because it's become like this, you know, city of whatever it's been voted 
the number one city to live in over the last couple years with uh, travel and leisure, if that's legit in any way. <laughs> but um, it's just, it's magical. And the people are amazing. I feel that it's very easy to create a community here, of friends. It's super easy to meet people. People are so friendly. I mean, I lived in Florida for over 10 years and I can count on one hand the people that I'm still in touch with. And here, I mean, when I got here the first six months, I was just like, this doesn't feel right because I'm not used to having friends like, <laughs> you know, like a, a load of friends. And when I say friends, I'm not talking like, OK, they're my bosom buddies. I mean, just people that are kind, you know, asking you to come and hang out and do things and socially. And I think that as a whole and I'm talking about mix, not just Americans as a whole, the culture here really rubs off on us as expats, right? Because in the U.S., I mean, honestly, we're really closed off to our little square and our box, right? I lived in Florida. I had neighbors and I would say hi, but they weren't coming over necessarily to hang out in my house or, you know, every blue moon, maybe I would do something with someone if I got to know them. But for the most part, we are very closed off to people we don't know. And if we don't have the space to really build that relationship, whether it's working in the same company or having mutual friends or things like this, it's really difficult, I think, to set roots to meet new people in the U.S., especially when you become a parent or older. Obviously, you could do play dates in the school stuff, but I think outside of that, it's really hard because we're all busy, right? We're rat racing every day, get food, run home, get some sleep, get back up and do it all over again. And here it's just like, even if we work, because I'm busy all the time, but I'm also busy on a social level. I've met some fantastic people of all races, people from the U.S., people from Canada, uh, people from other islands in the Caribbean, people from here, Mexicans. I've met some really amazing Mexican people that are just so kind, you know, and they're, they meet. I've had people literally invite me to housewarming, come to my house after talking to them for five minutes at the grocery store. I remember a guy, he saw me in some boots and he was like, oh, those look like riding boots. Do you ride horses? And I was just like, no, I don't. I was like, I just like the boots. And, you know, he started, oh, I just, where are you from? Da, 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 da. And this is what happens all the time. You know, where are you from? Um, and I was like, oh, I live here now because people don't really understand that we live here. We get this a lot too, because there aren't, you know, there aren't a lot of black people here. So it's sort of like they assume you're visiting. And um, I'm like, nope, I've been here for three years, blah, 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 blah. But long story short, we do get a lot of invites with just us meeting people within a few minutes, or sometimes we meet them through someone else. And then suddenly like, oh, okay, you know, I'm doing this on Saturday. Would you like to come? We're going to do this in the group. You know, you're invited, blah, blah, blah. So it's very warming in this sense where it's not hard to adjust to living here. It makes it very comfortable. Um, people are bilingual for the most part. Even when you go to restaurants, you'll get a lot of um, bilingual service there. There's always maybe at least one or three people who speak English well. If they can't communicate with you, someone can't, you know. So you get a lot of that. So I feel that it makes it a very soft landing, transitional city. And that wasn't really important for me and my family. I really wanted my husband 
since he came along for this ride to not feel like a fish out of water. And we felt that way when we did our research trip in Mexico City. I could do Mexico City, but I think he would have really not been happy, too happy there. Wow. So, Michelle, I am at the end of season two, I shared that I'm preparing to go on my exploratory as my Black citizen 2023. Mm -hmm. And my daughter is uh, preferring that I stay a little closer. So I'm looking at Costa Rica first. But I have to say, in listening, you talk about San Miguel feel like I need to just come and just check it out because I, I want yeah. to feel the magic. <laughs> I want to feel the magic. And so I, I feel like I will be that client <laughs> that you have who's like, wait a second here. <laughs> I think it's not a bad idea. I mean, I say try. And, you know, if you hear of something and your heartstring says, you know what, maybe I need to check it out. Um I really like it. I'm, people ask me, when are you planning on leaving? I'm like, not right now. I really would like my son to be here until uh, he's at least a teen. You know, I, I think it's been good to us. We got here when he was six. And um, in a year and a half, he was fully fluent. He has a social calendar that's even busier than mine. And he has lots of friends. He's been well accepted. You know, they're really no other black children here. And, you know, sometimes that could be a challenge for someone else. I understand that. And I totally respect it. I was so excited when I saw this one uh, mixed child at his school a year and a half ago. And I was just like, who are her parents? I need to meet them. Right. She's super cute. But apparently her mom's full on Mexican. And I don't know who the biological father was, but she was apparently very mixed and super sweet. So I got to meet them. I invited them over. I was like, I'll do, this is how you do black hair. Cause she, that's how the conversation started. The dad who was her father, I guess, married to the mom, he came and asked me about the hair thing, which was very cute. And I was like, I'll oh, bring her on over. And I'll, I bought products from the US. I said, no, this is what you do. Da, da, da. Long story short, since then, my um, one of my other clients, she moved here a couple months ago and she also has a son. Um, so it's been really, you know, fantastic to see other, um, you know, black children around and I've seen a few in town, so it's definitely growing. And I think that it's a very family oriented city as well. There's a lot to do. Like my son is in robotics camp right now. It's the cutest thing ever. Like they had the robot Roblox character today. Someone was in the costume, but it's just so cool. Like the way they set it all up, it's affordable. You know, there are lots of bilingual um, schools here, Montessori, if that's your thing, Waldorf, if that's your thing, international bilingual schools, if that's your thing. So I think that it's learned as a city to really cater to the international crowd. It really has. It has grown into that. Um, it really, I mean, there's nothing here you cannot find. Maybe not black hair products in a salon, but everything else you could find. <laughs> so if you guys are listening, you're a hairstylist, please, like we need one. 
<laughs> That's right. Connect with Michelle. So as we, we start to close, and I, I just love all the layers of this conversation, and I hate that we have to put a pin on it, at least for now, but how can people that are listening to this episode that are inspired to learn more about you or learn more about what the possibilities might be living in San Miguel de Allende, how do they connect with you? Well, several ways. Um, if you just want to know more, please visit my website at afroexpats.com. You'll find everything there, all my handles for Facebook. Um, I have a YouTube channel and I am now running a lifestyle series, which I am interviewing various people around Mexico. So not just San Miguel, if you're interested in other cities, places in Mexico, so you can find out about Lake Chapala, you can find out about Merida, you can find out about uh, soon about Mexico City, you can find out about San Miguel, and it's just growing. I have at least six or eight interviews already out. So stay tuned, Afro Expats on YouTube. Again, there's also Afro Expats online. I have a Black SMA community on Facebook. And I also have a um, black owned businesses in Mexico as well. So if you go to my site, afroexpats.com, you'll find all my handles. Um, and I also offer, you know, relocation strategy sessions for anyone that might need a little help guidance. It's worth it. Um, I can tell you that Yes, you can go it alone. And yes, you can ask a million questions in Facebook groups, etc. But there's nothing like your unique journey. And I've learned that speaking to people, everyone has like their special thing. I mean, we all want to end up in whatever that opposite side of the fence is. But the getting there is unique. So I started this because I realized that I have a lot of experience and a lot of resources here and also knowledge. And it just gives me complete pleasure to share my journey and also to help others. So I say, save yourself a lot of time and hassles. You know, if it's not me, there are others out there that are doing the same thing. Book sessions with them, get in the know, do not spin your wheels because in the end you could end up spending a lot more than that session cost making mistakes that would cost you a lot of time and aggravation. Because if you make a big mistake, it just taints your whole move altogether. I've seen it in action. It's happened. So I say contact. <laughs> That's how you can reach me. This is where I am. San Miguel de Allende. I love it. Oh, that is awesome. And I will link all of those in the show notes for this episode. Awesome. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for yeah. being an incredible guest on the Blacks of Global podcast. I look forward to following your story and also having you back and, you know, maybe doing an episode of the sessions because there's so much that you have to offer. And I encourage people to reach out to Michelle, make those connections. You will be very, very glad that you did. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to your audience for supporting. I appreciate being here and look forward to speaking to anyone who needs me. Thank you for listening to the Black Sleep Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksitglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright.
Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.